1: Welcome to another edition of After Hours with Tifo and Luby. I'm Jeff DeForest along with one Mike Luby Lubitz here on the Believe Network. And if you're a fan of the Believe Network, uh, you'll certainly appreciate our uh, guest coming up here on today's edition of the program. Now, uh, we're inclined to explore and embrace various conspiracy theories. We do believe that the fix is in on Duke and that uh, this is all orchestrated for Coach K to go out on a magic carpet ride. Why don't you come with me, little girl? Automatic carpet ride that somehow some bad calls will uh, influence uh, the game against North Carolina, and that will propel Duke into the championship game. We had Kansas prevailing over a slightly depleted Villanova team in spite of the brilliance of Jay Wright. We had an image of Bill Self uh, throwing that hairpiece, which a lot <laughs> of people don't believe is a hairpiece because it looks so good. Uh, you would want one yourself, maybe even over your own head of hair. That's how good that hairpiece is with Bill Self, if indeed it is one. And then he will eventually fire it uh, into the face of Jim Nance as he also gets screwed on a call that costs him the championship and coach K goes out the uh, door in a blaze of glory. Uh, if you're not buying that, and you wanted uh, some more, uh, you know, Actual, I, I guess, factual uh, analysis. <laughs> uh, pertinent analysis, uh, you know, based uh, with some foundation and truth. Uh, we figured we better bring somebody onto the show. So well, uh, we have a gentleman here that you're familiar with on believe Scott Spinelli, outstanding, been around a college game a quarter of a century Uh, Was a head coach, Uh, you know, I don't even like to include the interim title because if you coach more than two games, you know, erase the interim. You were a head coach on a college basketball scene. Uh, We welcome Scott to the show. He was a head coach at BC and uh, always a brilliant analyst when it comes to college basketball. Uh, With the Final Four on tap here on Saturday, we welcome Scott Spinelli to our program after hours. Scott, how are you?
0: Excellent, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to be here with you today. Appreciate it, Coach.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to have you on because, uh, as you can hear, I mean, uh, we believe in matters of the occult <laughs> when it comes to uh, handicapping these sort of things. Uh, I- I'm sure there will be a time w- with uh, modern American wagering and international wagering becoming what it is where you can create your own proposition bet. And you might be able to parlay, uh, you know, a Duke winning a semifinal game on a bad call. Duke then winning the final game on a bad call. Bill Self taking off his hairpiece throwing it into Jim Nance's face, and, and you'll cash it like 50,000 to one if all those things happen. But uh, we have two games on tap on Saturday. Yeah, f- first of all, uh, your overview of the tournament so far. I mean, it's been upset city. A couple of Cinderella's made it pretty deep, including our own University of Miami team. St. Peter's certainly stole the spotlight there in Sister Jean-type fashion, uh, making you uh, you know absolutely love what uh, that storyline was becoming. But they eventually ran into uh, you know a better team in North Carolina. Um, what, what did you think so far of the tournament? I mean, how, how would you size it up if you are going to, you know, capsulize what's happened so
0: far? Well, I think it's been a lot of fun. And I think the NCAA tournament is something that people from, you know, everywhere can kind of enjoy, um, you know, just because you, you see a lot of different things happen within the tournament that uh, kind of captivate your imagination. And so when you think about this year's tournament, the one thing that will come uh, comes to my mind is the parody. I mean, some of these lower seeds versus the higher seeds early on, you know, there weren't a lot of blowout games. I mean, a lot of competitive uh, games, parody. Um, and then you look at some of the storylines that you just mentioned, obviously St. Peter's, you know, look, we've all been underdogs in our life at one point, and we can all kind of relate to that underdog mindset and, you know, the the way St. Peter's went out and, and how they played and, the biggest guy on their team was, you know, listed at six eight. yet they were, you know, one of the top shot-blocking teams in the country, played a lot bigger, um, you know, just played so competitively hard that they were able to beat some of those teams. So that was a lot of fun. And, and look, you can't ask for a better Final Four. You got four Blue Bloods who have combined, you know, with uh, they've, they've actually won, all of them have won three national, at least three national titles. all final four teams have won at least three national titles. That's never been done before. So these are some serious pedigree teams in the final four.
1: We've seen in the past, uh, the recent past, uh, (laughs) where, you know, teams that were loaded with one and doneers like John Calipari, when he had like the entire NBA draft lottery on his team in one season and they were all gone after one year. Uh, we've seen the, that formula be successful, but are, are we starting to maybe see a trend very quickly emerge where that's the last place that you want to be because our own Jim Laranega writing a little bit of a, a glass slipper type ride, uh, and, and orchestrating one uh, with a bunch of guys that were in school longer than John Blutarski. So, um, are, are we going to see more of a tendency for, uh, teams and coaches to lean on the transfer portal to get older guys with eligibility than they are likely to go out and spend a lot of time and energy recruiting uh, these one and donors.
0: Well, look, I mean, everybody has their own philosophy, and I think you could, that's what makes the tournament what it is. But, you know, for me as a coach, the one thing that I think is what makes college basketball special is when you can actually build your program from within. Freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors coming up within their classes, uh, chemistry, continuity, established roles, uh, you know, even the, the kids on campus in college can identify with their classmates because they've been there for a few years. And I think when you watch over, yeah, they've got one transfer in Daniels who came from Tulane, but he's been there now for a few years. They do it that way. They build within. They have culture. Um, and then you look at the other side of this, Duke, um, who does have most of their kids are younger guys. Um, and there are you know kids who are five star recruits, McDonald's all Americans. And so they do it that way. And again, you know, I guess it's all depending upon what coach um, you know, his philosophy is. but I think it's a lot safer to, to build within and then sprinkle to your point, like Miami did, sprinkle in a couple transfers out of the portal uh, if you lose a couple guys. Um, I think that's a much safer way to go. And I think that's what makes college basketball more enjoyable for all of us is you can identify with the kids who have been there for
2: a while. We're talking with Coach Scott Spinelli, uh, is an analyst. He does a lot of stuff with Nesson. Also, believe Network as well been a coach, uh, assistant head coach for over 20 years when it comes to college basketball and a little bit with the NBA. Follow him, hit him up on Twitter, at Coach underscore Spinelli. What's interesting is, and of course doing research on you, you uh, Every time I saw your name pop up, I heard the term elite recruiter next to it, which, of course, when it comes like Devo's talking about one and it done, is something every school wants. I always find it interesting because we know between the money before that was hush hush and now with the NIL, it's out in the open. Everyone has some kind of money, whatever. What separates someone from being average, good to elite recruiter? What made you an elite recruiter as opposed to some other guys that
0: just struggled? Well, when I was a younger coach when I first started, guys, I was a prep school coach. I was a head coach at a very young age. And I was recruiting kids and basically putting a team together. And I was making a lot of mistakes in my evaluation uh, by just really kind of judging these guys on what their numbers and their statistics were. And I couldn't have been more wrong. But one thing that is important in recruiting, the most important thing, in this process, or the component that you have to be really good at is evaluating players. And evaluation of these guys is so much more uh, important than it is just say, okay, that's a five-star player. I'm going to take him, because that doesn't necessarily guarantee a success. Mm-hmm. But what I look for now, instead of just statistics, every coach, whether you guys were playing when you were younger and you know junior high, high school, you know college, whatever, every coach has their own system. And every player has to assume a role within that system. So over the years, what I've tried to do is use my vision and imagination and kind of and past what the player is actually being used at uh, and look at what I believe him to be able to do. And a lot of times, efficiency is the way to go. Efficiency meaning not so much points per game, not PPGs, but points per shot, PPSs, and that efficiency and how that player is used is what I try to gauge in my recruiting. It's all about the evaluation, guys. That's what makes a great recruiter to me. All
1: right, very elite field in terms of uh, legacies in college basketball. Uh, Final four may be uh, the most uh, lofty ever uh, in uh, that regard. Uh, let's take a look at the games here. Uh, what, what will be the deciding factors, in your opinion, if you had to uh, look at key elements, uh, if you will, uh, in the uh, game uh, between Kansas and, and Villanova. Now, uh, everybody became a basketball expert, and, uh, you know, many people were thinking, well, this Moore kid is out. Uh, geez, a tragic, you know, Achilles tear there, and, uh, you know, just an ugly play where he slips, and, uh, you know, it didn't even look like there was any great contact there. He just uh, goes down in an awkward fashion. We've seen that. And now, he's out of the lineup. Everybody loves Jay Wright. And uh, we were just talking uh, on another show we have, uh, you know, how many times, what's he over, under a number of times they will reference the fact that Jay Wright is a good-looking man <laughs> during the uh, telecast. Because we know he's a handsome guy and obviously a hell of a basketball coach. coach. And you mentioned how he builds the program and he sustained a level of excellence uh, at Villanova that, that they hadn't seen in quite some time, uh, you know, over his entire tenure there. Um, how do you size that one up? Because uh, we watched this a little Jekyll and Hyde act of Kansas. They haven't been great in the tournament. But if you only saw the second half of the Miami game, my God, you you would think it was Max Bear against the Cinderella man, James J. Braddock. You know when he decided to really fight for a while. Um, How do you see that one? I mean, uh, what are the deciding factors in that game?
0: Well, before the tournament started, guys, we didn't do any shows, but we actually, uh, you know, I had Duke and Villanova on a collision course to meet in the national title. Um, Wow, you know, I had to do might be right, yeah, for you. Yeah, we had Purdue on the other side, and they, you know, got knocked out just in terms of the Final Four, and had Auburn. But we had those two teams, you know, um, kind of meeting. And here's the, the thing about this game. There's kind of a storyline or a game within the game, and that's this. Villanova is a team that is the only team right now in the Final Four that is in the top 30 in the country in terms of three-point field goal made per game. All the other teams that are in a, one of a, three of the top offensive point production teams. And so, why I say that to you is this: the three-point line is the great equalizer in college basketball or in basketball in general. The way Villanova plays is a very unconventional style, where they'll post their guards, their bigs, they space out on the perimeter, and they almost use your fundamentals that you taught defensively against you, whereas you're in positioning two ball, two passes away according to where the ball is and they'll have a shooter in the opposite corner, in the opposite wing, and you're taught to be in that help side or that weak side position, and the next thing you know, the ball's being fired to man and, man, you can't get there. And you look back, hence, 2018, these two teams played in the Final Four at the Alamo Dome, another dome setting, and Villanova broke the record. They were 18-40 from the 3-1 by 16 over Kansas and buried them that day. To me, as much as Villanova is going to miss Justin Moore, and that eruption of Achilles, and it's a huge loss. I just think Kansas has a very difficult time against a team like Villanova because of their unconventional style offensively. They'll get you into late clock possessions on offense and score with two seconds on the clock, and that's kind of the formula to deflate the, the opposition. When you start scoring with one second on the clock, you're like, oh, you played defense at 29 seconds, now they're scoring a three. With that said, the game within the game is going to be the three-point line. Kansas has traditionally, and even this year, they're one of the better teams at defending the three. If they can defend the three-point shot in this game and really contest those shots, top foot, high hand, and make it difficult for Villanova, I think Kansas holds the advantage. But for me, I'm staying with Villanova. I, I know Justin Del, Slater's going to have to do more. Uh, you know, Samuel's going to have to do more. All those guys, gonna like Brian Antoine, was a McDonald's All-American, hasn't played much this year with shoulder injuries. He might have this window of opportunity. But I'm sticking with Villanova. We had him from the beginning. Um, I still like their their style in this game. And, again, I think we're playing in the Superdome now this year. You know, 2018, the Alamo Dome. I think is going to shoot it very well from the three-point line and win this game.
1: Scott Spinelli, who you can find uh, and you can see why his uh, podcast is so popular on the Believe Network with us here on After Hours with Tifo and Luby, Jeff DeForest and uh, Mike Luby-Lubitz. All right. uh, That, uh, you know, bodes well, uh, obviously, uh, Villanova. And uh, aren't they also setting a record for free throws uh, and free throw percentage? Uh, They're shooting some phenomenal number, are they not? If I'm not mistaken. uh, And uh, and and, and may be the best ever at the line in terms of free throw percentage for a season.
0: Yep, they broke, they're going to break Harvard's 37 year record in terms of their team free throw wow. percentage. And as a team right now, they're shooting 83%. Um, and that really goes well. Again, with their identity, the way they play on offense and defense, they limit possessions during the game. And so when they do get fouled, those are not empty possessions like we see a lot of college teams or NBA teams miss free throws. They make their free throws. And to your point, Not only have they shot it well all year, they're going to break that record. Within the NCAA tournament, guys, they're shooting close to 90% from the free throw line right now. And that really bodes well for them in a close game. Um, And they put you in close games. They're not an easy team to beat, period, just because of the way they play. Um, And, again, if they make this a half-court game, which they're going to send multiple guys back on shots where Kansas – you know. can't get out and run. Kansas wants to get up and down the floor and run. And they make this a half-court game. To me, this is going to be a, a game that will come down to the wire or Villanova just because of their three-point shooting um, could also, you know, stretch this lead and win this game going away. I love Villanova, even without Justin.
1: I like it, man. Uh, they have the three-point stripe. They have the free throw stripe. I mean, uh, they're they're big in both of those categories. So uh, we'll see what happens if they can shake it up and uh, beat Kansas. All right. All right uh, Duke in North Carolina. I mean, uh, the last time uh, I'm a horse player, you go to past performances. uh, Everybody usually looks at the last race, you know, that the horse uh, ran uh, as the first thing that you notice. And and you see North Carolina against Duke. They beat them and was supposed to be a coronation game for Coach K K going out the door his final uh, game at Cameron Indoor. You had to think that, uh, you know, Duke was highly motivated, even though Coach K was critical of the team. Uh, after the ball game, even grabbing the mic before the ceremony and saying, these guys are going to have to play better. I thought it was Tim Tebow standing up there giving a speech. And uh, you know, it turned out he was right because uh, even though they didn't win the ACC tournament, uh, they uh, you know are in a perfect position here to maybe win a national championship. So uh, uh, does North Carolina have the ability to just lay it on them again because uh, I'm going to be in Atlantic City and I- I'm taking the points with North Carolina in this game. I, I think they have a good chance to win it outright.
0: For me, I see it differently, and this is why. Um, so that last game, regular season game at Cameron, was a huge stage, too, way too big of a stage uh, for those Duke players. They're kids. They're young kids. And when you have all those Duke legendary players there, all the, the entire Duke brotherhood watching you, uh, the entire college basketball world watching that game, I just think the moment, the stage was a little too big for those players, those young kids. Remember, these are kids. And so, to me, what I saw was in that game. To so your point with North Carolina, they actually, in a way, came out of that game thinking, "Hey, we can beat anybody, any place, any time." So their belief and their confidence level changed that night. Remember, they'd lost some games at home, you know, Pittsburgh at home by 15 points. They got they had some tough losses themselves, but I think that game changed their mindset. Into the ACC tournament, Duke goes. They were not themselves their ball screen positioning in terms of their point of ball screen defense was not good. Their you know one pass away positioning defensively was off. Their two pass away positioning in help side and their rotations wasn't good. And we talked about this prior to coming into the tournament that they were going to get back to Cameron, they were going to refocus, really watch film and get themselves back to playing because Duke was playing really well up until that last game against North Carolina. They beat North Carolina pretty handily at North Carolina this year, um, the first time they played. And so, to me, I think the pressure's off. And I'm going to say something to you guys. There's no analytical metric that can put the value of a team or an individual player's will to win or drive. And I think Duke right now is the most driven team. I think their will to win is, is you know, as, as to send Coach K off on a, in the storybook ending is, is bigger than anybody's in this Final Four. Um, I think they had their moment where they let everybody down in their own mind uh, after that last home game. And right now, besides Finchero and Williams being the only two consistent guys prior to, um, you know, into the ACC tournament, all those other guys now are playing their best basketball basketball on both ends of the floor. And if you remember right, Michigan State game and the game against um, Texas Tech in the last five minutes, they won the game, guys, on the defensive end of the floor which is what they needed to correct going into this tournament. And I think Duke right now is primed and ready to go. I really like Duke in this
2: game. We're talking with Coach Scott Spinelli. does analysis for Believe Network and and other areas as well. Follow him up on Twitter at Coach Scott underscore Spinelli. Well, look, being a coach, and you've been both assistant coach and a head coach, uh, the one glaring <laughs> mismatch in coaches in this Final Four is that game, Coach K going to go down as if not the best coach right there with John Wooden. And Hubert Davis, who's done an amazing job taking a team that almost wasn't in the tournament in February to the Final Four and has played really strong in North Carolina. But it is his first year, Hubert Davis, after being a longtime assistant NBA player and player at Carolina. What do you do with that? Like how much does that coaching disparity uh, influence what your thoughts are for this game?
0: Nothing. It doesn't. But I will say this. I'm going to talk. Uh, about Coach Davis and the the job that he's done with his staff. Let's let's first talk about adjustments, tactical adjustments, okay? First game against Duke, they had Baycott got in Banchero, which was a mismatch. Duke Banchero just, you know, just destroyed him out there in that game. And when they went back to Cameron and played the second time around, they put Manic on him, and uh, it really changed a, a lot in terms of what, you know, Banchero could or could not do in that game. They also... At times, you know, double ball screens and handoffs with Cheryl and really disrupted Duke's rhythm. Um, with that said, look, guys, to me, this is where coaching is going to today. With all the different changes in society and social media, to, to today, coaching at any level, the advantage goes to the coach who has been able to understand and build relationships. It's relationship-based coaching. Yeah. Yes, you hold hold you hold your guys accountable. You know, you give them tough love. Not everybody's gonna be happy, but there's a trust factor. And when you're a long time assistant and you've been in this profession a long time and you understand how to keep your players as an assistant not too high, not too low. Um, you know, you establish relationships with the kids, their families, the support groups, there's a trust side of this. And Coach Davis has done an unbelievable job in his staff at doing such. And I think these kids at North Carolina really want to play for him. He showed that he can make some tactical adjustments. He's done a really good job. And uh, again, his team is playing with a lot of confidence and a belief right now um, that they can beat anybody. And again, it all started that last home game where North Carolina changed their mindset and was the best thing to happen to them. And to be honest with you guys, that loss that night to Duke was the best thing that happened to them that we talked about prior to this tournament. And, again, I think he's done a really good job. I don't think you should look at the coaching experience at all. I think, again, it's, it's coaching has changed. But I don't think it's going to change the outcome because I think Duke right now, uh, their will to win and their drive right now, to me, uh, is what separates them.
1: You can catch him on Believe, uh, much like uh, you catch us on After Hours with Defoe and Luby. Uh, Scott Spinelli with us here on After Hours. All right, a couple of quick things uh, just to wrap things up. Uh, would you draft – Chet Holmgren, one or two, if you were an NBA team uh, in a position to make that pick?
0: Well, everybody that I speak to in the NBA says they're going to take them one, um, maybe two, but most people are saying one. Um, You know, and look, for me personally, if you're asking me, you know, the game obviously now is about skill, right? And, you know, you have a kid that has, uh, you know, that type of size with his skill set. It's almost a generational talent. You're not going to find kids with that type of size and skill too often. He obviously needs to build up his body. Um, you know, mentally, he'll mature as he gets older. Uh, so to your point, I, I love uh, Holmgren. For me personally, I'm a big Banchero guy. I think you know he's going to have a chance to be a uh, also, I say, generational talent at 6'10", 250. He can score from all three levels. Um, and he's also an excellent passer, much like Holmgren is. Um, the only difference is Holmgren has got a better shot blocker and a better rebounder. Banchero's got to start rebounding a little bit more. But I think, to your question, yes, Holmgren is going to go one or two, and rightfully so. All
1: right, and final thing, and uh, this is uh, strictly opinion and subjective, uh, but, uh, you know, am I on one of the bigger missions of self-sabotage in my <laughs> lifetime? Heading for Atlantic City, where my wife has been, uh, you know, roped back in there because she won a jackpot a couple of weeks ago to come back and test for an even higher jackpot via a drawing. And I'm uh, going there to bet uh, Kansas uh, laying four and a hook and North Carolina taking four and a hook. And you, after dissecting these games, are, are kind of telling me Not against you I'm both. maybe those opinions aren't all that solid. <laughs> so, should I cancel my trip to Atlantic City? That would be my final parting question here, Scott Spinelli.
0: Uh, you know, guys, look, I'm just giving it to you from uh, what we've talked about going into this tournament. You know, we were very strong, at least I was very strong about Duke um getting to the final four and obviously getting to the championship game and cutting down the nets right from the beginning, as well as Villanova. I felt Villanova was gonna, you know, advance from their side too. Um, you know, again, Justin Moore's injury does throw a little bit of a wrench into it, but it'd be hard for me to jump off Villanova right now just because we've been pushing them all the way through. Uh, to every media outlet around the country that we've been on between television and radio so um, I do still think going over very very game team right now um, they do have some other guys that can step up but again everybody sees it one way and uh, you know I don't shoot the message I'm just telling you what my my belief is and what I uh, have been able to kind of see just from a coaching standpoint and just my opinion on what I think could happen but again as you guys know, it is a game until it's, you know, who knows, a lot of different things can happen between foul trouble and guys aren't making shots or whatever. But I just think going over style is just very difficult, uh, in know, one game set to, to understand how they play. And then on the other side, I think Duke right now, after that last loss against North Carolina, they are hungry, hungry, hungry to win.
1: I have to hope my flight is canceled or something. Say, I, uh, I could I walk across the, street to the beach and watch the games <laughs> on TV, or I could walk the plank and uh, board a plane for Atlantic City. Uh, I'm starting to reconsider. Uh, th- thanks so much, Scott. Coach very, very things. informative. Uh, great, great stuff. I can see why you guys are so popular here on Believe. And uh, thanks so much for joining us here on After Hours with Tifo and Luby.
0: Thanks for having me today, guys. That was great, great, great talking to you. Thanks, Coach. Hopefully you talk All soon.
1: All right. Thanks a lot. Guy knew his stuff, huh, Luby? Yeah. Scott Spinelli. He's
2: he's been a coach Very for like good. twenty something years. Like literally every time I, I I looked up his name and next to it literally said Elite Recruiter, Lee Recruiter, Lee Recruiter. Guys put five guys in how the come NBA they don't and put they weren't even high Guys recruits.
1: like that I, I was gonna say, how come they, they don't put guys like that on the caller analysis uh, I know, he right? was
2: great. He is exactly what yeah. you want. Like he was yeah. perfect to the point too. He would cut himself off. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> like that was great.
1: That was great, man. All right. All right, we had a lot of fun being with you uh, all week long. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Yeah, so sir, it's enjoy after the Google the Depot show. We had a sensational edition yeah, awesome. uh, earlier this morning. With our Degenerate Friday, and uh, we had several people that are very knowledgeable about uh, both the college basketball and also the upcoming three-year-old tests taking place over the weekend, the Arkansas Derby at Oakland Park, and of course, the Florida Derby at our home track of Gulfstream Park, one of the premier events leading up to that first Saturday in May, which is right around the corner. Yes, sir. Uh, This will be our last show on uh, the Believe Networks. Uh, You know, I have decided to retire, and uh, Luby. I think uh, you've made enough money oh. in the years that we've been together to go ahead and uh, consider <laughs> at least uh, maybe off. a change of career directions here if you haven't considered it uh, every day since we've been partnered up. <laughs> and, uh, no, we'll be with you on Monday. I mean, We're it's going April nowhere, we sorry. To pull something up yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready People for know. that yet. I can't afford to retire. No. Uh, so. otherwise, I mean, otherwise, you know, something has to be believable to be a good April yeah, Fool's prank. You know, to roll people in, and uh, anybody that knows me knows that uh, it'll be all right. If you could squeeze me at 20, I'll be able to get back from Atlantic City after uh, what what I am anticipating is going to be like a two-dime bludgeoning over the weekend. The desire to give it back.
2: Yeah, exactly. Is that not the
1: gambler's? I mean, if you were going to have a a gambler's blues, the desire to give it back would have to be addressed somewhere in that song. 100%. All right, well, uh, we'll see you guys on Monday. And uh, No, not retiring. See you guys on Monday. Here on After Hours with Defo and Luby. And as we tell you uh, every time that we leave you in part ways with you guys, your wonderful listeners out there that have tuned us in and found us here. And uh, don't forget, like I said, Google the Defo show. You'll really enjoy what we put out there uh, for today's edition. And that's uh, D-E-F-O. Uh, I'm Jeff DeForest from Mike Luby Lubitz telling everybody, uh, have a wonderful weekend, and you've got to believe. Play the ponies in style at Champions, the outstanding simulcasting room at beautiful Hylia Park. Yes, the grand old lady of thoroughbred racing has never been more vibrant, and you can wager on the races from the top tracks around the country while enjoying a cocktail at the Brass Rail Bar or any of the fine food served throughout the facility. If poker is your game, you're covered in style, and you can play all your favorite Vegas-style games, including blackjack, craps, and roulette, in Hylia Park's sizzling hot casino. Get a player's card when you walk through the door for all kinds of generous amenities, including our favorite, free play. Free play. When you come out to the ultimate casino and entertainment destination, highly apart.
2: These days, we're all looking for comfort anywhere we can find it. Thank goodness for Landlubbers Raw Bar and Grill in the Plantation location because they are making sure you are as comfortable as possible. First of all, they're not only open for delivery and pickup. All you have to do is go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both pickup and free delivery. Their hours have changed a little bit. Monday through Thursday from 3.30 to 10. And Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11.30 to 10. You're going to have the best wings in the world. You're going to have a great burger. You're going to have their amazing soups. Again, Landlubbers Raw Bar and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for Landlubbers for making you always feel right
1: at home. Thank you for listening to Believe.